and I realized like, I can't have this stuff everywhere. I can't have this unkilled app running in the background of managing stuff. There's too much stuff. Welcome to the Chelsea Pearson Podcast. I'm Chelsea, a wife, mom of two toddlers, a life and business coach, a network marketing professional with over a decade of experience in social sales and personal growth, and a long-form girl living in an Instagram story world. I am not going to limit myself to 140 characters any longer. So run, drive, work, clean your house, organize your closet. Let's get into it. Good morning, everyone. It is Chelsea Pearson here, and today we're going to be talking about a topic that absolutely changed my life, and that is the lifestyle and the concept of minimalism. Now, this topic and this this application of the topic in each and every one of our lives is so different because you will... You will, if you were to walk into my house and see the number of possessions that I do have, you'd think to yourself, girl, you are either so organized and things are so clean and so tight and so right and just perfectly, perfectly distributed amongst your space and your environment, or you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, you have so much stuff. And I think it's so fascinating just, you know, friends I've had, people I've dated, family members who I've known my whole life and then finally gone to their house because they're, uh, they live long distance and I all of a sudden connect their environment with who they are. It's so wild to see how we manage our desks and our cars and our closets. I mean, I think about if, if you're a Friends fan or you're familiar with the episode where Monica Geller, the most organized type A person, is exposed for having this closet that's always in the shot, right? It's like a it's a 90s set. So we're always seeing this, this door of this closet in the environment in which everyone's hanging out. And it's revealed that in this closet is just like all of this mountain of chaos and it's where she puts all of her all of her chaos. It's where she all the unprocessed stuff, all the things she can't let go of, that that just that Achilles heel, that part of her that just cannot be organized, which is so human. And so I think it's why it connects so much and it sticks in my brain. We all have versions of that. And some of us literally live that out loud. I have I have been every version. I really have been an utter mess, and I've also really intentionally decided to become somebody who's organized. And I'm gonna share with you today my reasons why and help you figure out where you land and maybe uncover a little bit about why you're living the way that you are and why you're holding on to things that are just draining you and actually maybe even preventing you from getting the need met that you don't even realize is the reason that unmet need is the reason why you are holding on to that box or that bike or that sweatshirt or that dress or those memories and those papers and those photos and in the process of identifying what feels out of control and overwhelming for you 
we can start to untangle a way out. I'll first start by sharing that I grew up in a very privileged middle-class family where we didn't get whatever we wanted. There was absolutely not a budget for everything that we wanted to do, but we were always fed. We always had incredible birthdays and Christmases, a roof over our head, food on the table, um, clothes every year for school, but I did not live live the way that, or grow up with the um, financial flexibility that I have today. And I think about that often when it comes to my beliefs about holding on to things and holding on to possessions just in case. And I have noticed, it's been very fascinating as my salary has increased or my the revenue that my business creates has increased over about a 10 year period, my relationship to possessions did not change. And my income was some years doubling every single year. And I was holding on to the beliefs that I built in childhood and the beliefs that that shaped me about the the value of something, the value of a dollar, the importance of being prepared and not overspending and investing for the future. And I've shared, I'll probably share it every episode that security and support and safety is always really the driving force behind why I'm doing things. So we talked about the Enneagram last week. So you may not relate to that because you're, you value fun or connection or self-expression or freedom way more than you do security. And that absolutely impacts the way that you hold on to possessions. But for me, I remember like if I would get, I don't know, like a perfume from Bath and Body Works. I mean, I don't know what it cost back in the 90s, but I would keep that bottle underneath my shelf or in the bathroom or, you know, somewhere until I used it up, like without question. I didn't even think about, I mean, I was a kid, but I didn't even think about the expiration date. I didn't, I may never get the opportunity to have a body spray again. That's like what my brain offered me. So I'm going to keep it forever. Like what? Get rid of it? Have less? Like, I don't know when this is going to come into my life. So I have to hold on to it. I have to white knuckle it. I have to keep it forever. And then it's so wild because not that I would keep like empty perfume bottles, but I would hold on to things on the other side of its use because I think to myself, okay, I don't know when I'm going to have this experience again. I don't know when this opportunity, I, I don't want to let go of the memory. I don't want to let go of the way that I felt when I received this or when I was using this. And I know this is hitting home for some of you guys with that drawer or that box or that room or the entire environment around you or that storage unit and you're saying to yourself, yeah, I can get stuff done. I can make decisions. I don't want to be living like this. And I have so many emotional ties and needs being met and connections that I just can't sever with my stuff. Like it's it's so much bigger than a, a closet full of stuff. And 
I certainly can't ask for help because when someone comes in, whether it's a parent or a friend or a neighbor or a partner, and they're like, oh no, are you keeping this? Or like, what, what is this? Let's get rid of it. They are not emotionally connected to your stuff and your memories and your things. So it's really easy for them to just come in and go, what, what on earth is this? Because they're not cutting cords to your memories and to the needs that those things met and to the way they made you feel. And a part of me was always a little bit embarrassed when I would see somebody living so light and so free. And a big part of working from home is working from home, right? So when you have the ability to go to an office, that's a designated space. And you can detach from everything that's at home and everything that's in that environment. And then you work in that designated space and then you return. And for me, I found myself when I was building out my home office or my home gym, or even just waking up and saying, okay, it's time for me to work. I would be so distracted by the amount of unfinished things or even just really managing the items in my life and in my head, in my house, and even digitally on my desktop and the photos I wanted to save and the notes that I wanted to do something with someday. It prevented me from having a clean, efficient workflow. And it sucked. It sucked. It's it, it stopped my productivity. It felt emotionally heavy. I felt like, oh no, I got to get all this stuff done before I do this. Or, yep, yeah, I just got to go through this bin or organize this closet and then I'll be able to sit down and do the things that I have to do. Now, again, this is subjective, so some of you would, if you were a fly on the wall, you'd look at my situation and go, you're good. (laughs) You're plenty productive. You don't have that much stuff. It's not that big of a deal. And then for others, you're like, wow, like, what is your deal? And I don't mean that judgmentally, but just like, it's a spectrum like everything else. We're all coming from different places. We all have different levels of connection to possessions, and we all have different standards and expectations for the productivity that we have each day. So all of this is relative and I I don't say any of this to beat myself up ever. Instead, I think it's really just me giving you permission and encouraging you not to judge yourself against me or other people, but instead really work inside the framework of what your definition of minimalism is and your definition of too much is and your definition of how it was and your definition of what you'd like it to be because that's all that matters. Your world, your feelings, the results that you create, the current circumstances that you're in and you want to get out of, that's all that matters. I'm just sharing this as a guide for you and to let you into my world in the hopes that you can start to Just get little pieces of insight and inspiration so that you can actually go into your world and make a meaningful change. But everything changed when I had kids. Everything changed when I had my first son because all that time and all that flexibility that, I mean, I really had time freedom working for myself for a decade, not having a boss, 
working from home, living wherever I want, deciding what my goals were, it required a level of discipline that most people wouldn't want. Um, many people love just to be able to go to work and come home and have that structure. I was just like, if you're a Seinfeld, I, I'm like going all the way back to 90s TV today, but there's an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer adopts a piece of the highway. Like if you are driving down the highway and you see that this is sponsored by or adopted by a certain company, you know, they pay for the advertising and make sure that that, that, that area of the highway is clean and he adopted the highway and so assumed that he, that was his highway and he could do whatever he wanted with that strip. And so he painted the dotted lines so that it was one big lane as opposed to multiple lanes. And there's this scene that's so funny where um, they're driving in the car and they're just turning the steering wheel from right to left to right to left, swerving like, oh, this is so roomy. This feels so good. And I, my brain always brings that up when I'm thinking about the way that my life was before kids because I was just like, I do whatever I want. I work whatever I want. I sleep whatever I want. I decide like, this is just so nice. And then you have kids or your life changes, whatever the circumstances look like. And it's like, okay, I have this little pocket of time for work. And I have this little pocket of time for, for myself. And then I have this little pocket of time for the kids and then feeding them and bathing them and me. And there's just so much to put into such a small window. And with so so, so big of a demand, you don't have the life force and the physical energy that you used to because you are being present and loving and taking care of and thinking of so many different heartbeats in your life. And I realized like, I can't, I can't have this stuff everywhere. I can't have this unkilled app running in the background of managing stuff. There's too much stuff. I'm managing enough. I'm losing out on time with my kids or time that's clear in my work or like fun or adventure because I'm just like, I have to clean this up. I have to find a spot for this. I have to go through this closet. I have to move this clutter. It was so clear to me that my mental health and the future memories that I would be making with my kids was contingent on becoming a minimalist. I had the urgency, I had the leverage. I just needed to learn the strategy. And that's what I'm gonna teach you guys today. So let's start with three concepts that really hit home for me. And there's so many cool resources on minimalism on Pinterest and um, YouTube and there's books and podcasts. So take what works, leave what doesn't. Um, I definitely like explored the Marie Kondo way and I think she's exceptional. I also like fell deep into the home edit Netflix series and I was like, oh, everything needs to be rainbow and I need to spend $1,000 at the container store. I think they're exceptional too. You don't need to do that. Like trust your gut, trust your budget, trust your needs, trust yourself. Know that like if you're not going to maintain it and it's not, doesn't feel effortless and easy for you, if effortless and easy is what you're going for and you're finding yourself complicating things and overwhelmed with the ma the maintenance of that thing, it's probably not the right solution for you. Now, my books are absolutely color coordinated, but my kids' books aren't. 
and I have clear bins for some of the things in my pantry, but I also just put some stuff on the shelf. And I, I think if you were to ask Marie Kondo or the home edit ladies, they would say the same thing. I'm not portraying them in a negative light. I'm just saying you don't have to go all the way. It's not all or nothing. It's really, this is the resonating message of this podcast and really of success in any area of your life from anybody who really has your best interest at heart. There isn't one way. There's your way. And that's what matters. And we don't land on that way right away. Instead, we have to really test stuff, see how it feels. Um, and then sometimes we're going to land on, okay, this works really well. And then all of a sudden your kids get to an age where they can rip everything off the shelf or they're older or there's one less person in your house or you don't have the space and the capacity. So with season changes, you're also going to have to learn how to ask yourself what works for me and then test evaluate and repeat and really have that grace and that flexibility to say like it doesn't have to be perfect i promise you it doesn't have to be perfect but the three things that really really resonated most with me in my research and going through this process was number one calculating the price per use number two assessing the management cost of that item and then three really evaluating the reason that I'm holding on. Ugh, I can get so emotional so quickly and I love it about myself and I also am like, I refuse to cry on this podcast. I refuse to cry on this episode. Like I've got to balance strategy and deep emotion, but really I, I so quickly and so instinctually connect to the deep stuff. So let's talk about numbers because by the way, if you're crying and you want to stop, just do like a a really hard math problem in your brain. Like ask yourself as you're about to cry, when you want to stop, okay, what is 76 divided by four? I have no idea. Your brain will immediately go from emotional to logical and usually that stops the tears. So that's a little trick that's helped me. So let's talk about the first strategy and that's assessing the price per use. So it's pretty straightforward, but I want to break it down for you. If you were to buy a mug and the mug was $10 and you were to use it for 100 days, the price per use for that mug would be 10 cents. So every time you use that mug, it's 10, it's 10 cents that you're paying for it. If you were to use that mug, 10 times and then leave it in your cabinet, the price per use for that mug would be $1. If you were to use it once, the price per use would be $10. And the reason why this strategy resonated so much with me is because I was holding on to stuff that I spent money on. And if you've grown up, you know, I shared earlier that I grew up in a very comfortable family, but what I didn't share and like many of you guys probably can relate either in your current circumstance or your family circumstance is that my mom's side of the family grew up with very little. And I was very aware of that, both in my mom's behaviors and spending and expectations and the lessons and the wisdom that she passed on to me from the stories that I'd hear about how they stretched a dollar. And, you know, they would obviously if there was holes in their socks and they didn't have the ability to buy new socks, 
you wore socks with holes in them or you would mend them and then you'd figure it out and you would find ways to connect and have fun and enjoy holidays with very little. And because of my mom's example and what she passed on to me with who she is and just how I experienced my family in that way, I, I knew I didn't need money to feel that way, but I also knew that there were potentially going to be situations in life where I may not have more stuff. And so because of that, I saw like, oh, let's just save that for later or oh, let's keep that. And I think that there, I, I truly believe that there is so much to be respected about this. It's so sane. It's so logical. Like when you've grown up they, there was no Amazon. There were, there were there were no department stores. There was no access. When you think about even just one generation behind us, we are so abundantly blessed and there's so much more accessible to us and we consume so much more so differently. So I don't like I really do extract the wisdom and the honor and the goodness of like being happy without physical possessions and not being wasteful and really asking yourself, can this be useful? Can I give this to somebody else? Can I, can I save this for when the chips are down? Because that was the reality for most people for the entire, the entire human history. We're really living in a very, very abundant time even though there are obviously issues with life today. And then on my dad's side of the family, my grandparents were so frugal, but in like the best way. I mean, I think about what their salaries probably were and they lived so below their means and so so intelligently and so wisely with how they would save and how they'd give and how they'd spend that that really set an incredible example for me where I, I always said to myself, with every paycheck that I get, how can I think about 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, 50 years down the road. I always joke when I see people, you know, having fun and spe- like spending money, which I need to do a little bit more of. I'm like, girl, if you just put that in a mutual fund, if you just put that in a high yield savings account, like I'm always so far down the road that I often sacrifice the fun in the present moment. So we're, we're all in different timelines. We're all in different, some of us are, living so far in the past. Some of us are living so far in the future like me, and there are others that are so in the present moment that they don't consider the other segments of time. And I think that's a really important thing for us to assess just in general when we when we look at our relationship to goals and ourself. And the Enneagram is actually such a great way for you to do that because I had mentioned last week that within the nine, the nine pointed figure, there are something called triads. And they're essentially triangles or s- segments um, of, of the, nine, the nine pieces or the nine types that break off into little segments. So for example, Enneagram twos, threes, and fours are very much past focused. And our heart or feeling driven and centered but at their worst they can they have they have a proclivity to be 
influenced by shame and past focus, right? So like I should have done this or it's not the way that it used to be or they're really focused backwards. Um, and not all the times, but there's there's a tendency. And for fives, sixes, and sevens, they're very much in the head or the thinking triad and future focused, right? So when you feel shame, you tend to look backwards. Like I wasn't enough or I didn't do the right thing or I disconnected from this person or it's comparing backwards. And when you think about the head or thinking, of course we can think backwards, but very often it's also like anxious, anxious, anxious. I'm thinking about what will happen. And so fives, sixes, and sevens are very much future oriented. And then eights, nines, and ones are gut or instinctively oriented. And so they're really in the present moment. Like, I'm just here. I'm just going to do what feels good right now. Or I'm going to, like, I know what's happening right now. Or I'm just going to manage what's happening right now. And so if you're not sure where, if you've never even thought about it, and you're like, I don't know, like, which which um, time frame really resonates with me and the way that I think and the way that I act and the way that I show up in the world, your Enneagram type might lead you to that. Because I have just found with the people that I know their types and I know their patterns and I know who they are and what they struggle with, there's a very close correlation. And for me, as a six, in my head, overthinking, overplanning, future-focused anxiety, um, it absolutely absolutely affects the way that I hold on to my possessions and how I save for the future or I worry will I need to keep this thing or am I doing enough to save for the future and I mean if you think about it in any of those tenses or any of those areas we want to learn from the past pull from the past but we want to be in the present moment right now because that's all we have and make good decisions and also live successfully in our lives while also balancing preparing for the future. And I I believe it's possible for all of us and it affects every area of our life like minimalism and um, the possessions that we own. So back to the mug, back to price per use. When you are looking at a possession that you've already purchased, I really want to ask, I want you to ask yourself, like, how much did this cost? And did I get my use out of it? And that's really helped me let go of things. Like, there's this sunken cost fallacy that's very real with people and opportunities and jobs and items in our lives where it's like, I already invested so much into this, I can't let go of it. It's, it's a fallacy, it's an experience that people widespread have. And just because you invested in it doesn't mean you need to keep it. And that's, that's, it's a really challenging thing to confront. And so when I use the price per use strategy and I say to myself, wow, I've used this like 600 times, <laughs> it cost $6, I, got, I, I used this thing. It fulfilled its, its purpose and now I can let go of it, that's really helped me let go of some things. But actually, just saying this out loud, what it's really done for me is change the way that I consume and what I purchase and what I bring into my life. And when we 
talk about minimalism and downsizing and organizing and streamlining and optimizing, it's absolutely, if we're going to go back to the tenses, it's both what we've purchased in the past and possess from the past. It's how we manage in the present moment and maintain and organize just like you know, those home edit bins or are you going to really rainbow color coordinate your books in the present moment every single day? And then future focused, at what, how am I going to mitigate what I'm bringing into my world and onto my plate and into my closet and into my life? And now everything that I buy subconsciously, I, I think to myself, well, how much, how, what is the price per use of this thing? And what's really great, so this is so funny. A lot. One of my, um, actually my business coach, she, um, or both, we love fashion and we like nice stuff. And I ended up saying to her just off the cuff, I was like, oh yeah, I thrift all the time. Like I, I don't just splurge. I, I mean, I am just, everything that I buy is either an investment or it's a smart, it's a smart financial move. I, I really don't over consume because of my because of my scarcity mentality and she was so shocked by that because I have luxury bags and I have really nice things but when I invested a few years ago in a Louis Vuitton Neverfull um I the price per use the amount that I use it made sense to me now obviously you have to have the money up front to be able to to buy the product but when i would look back at all the different bags that i'd buy at tj maxx and marshall's and here and there and online and on amazon which i still love like there's there is no pretentiousness about the way that i wear things Um, again i love to thrift and i realized to myself like the quality of those bags it just deteriorates quickly and it's like 30 bucks here and 50 bucks here and 20 bucks here. And if I was to look back at a certain period of time, I have absolutely spent over a thousand dollars on a bag or on multiple bags that now don't hold up and they don't hold their value. And so when I when I made the investment on, on a Louis Vuitton bag, I knew the canvas was going to last and the handles were going to last, and I was going to want to use it again and again and again and again. And now the price per use for that is so much lower than a $40 TJ Maxx bag that probably couldn't last more than a year because like the wheels would fall off. And so even in making bigger purchases, I'm always thinking that way, and the same thing from, I, I used to be like a shoe dazzle girl, and I would, you know, every, I was working a corporate job and so like my shoes made me feel like I could express myself and have some freedom and some fun when I was just like not loving my work and that met a need in me. However, now in this season of of life where I'm not going out all the time and I have, you know, events for work and cocktail parties every quarter or so, but like I'm just not, I'm not wearing heels every single day. I just wanted a nude beautiful pair of shoes that was high quality and I could put I, I didn't even have to think like I could just put wear it with any outfit and so um, I really had my eye also comfortable I had my eye on these YSL Yves Saint Laurent um, tributes um, that's what they're called the sandal and I think they're like $750 and I thought to myself I have bought how many pairs of $40 shoes have I purchased 
that have split and torn and worn and not been comfortable. And I didn't think at all about that, but I have this massive fear of making a bigger investment in myself the price per use on those shoes that I had that collection that I had in my closet was like forty dollars because I would wear it once. Now this seven hundred and fifty dollar pair of shoes, just like the bag, you have to have the money up front to be able to buy it. But I've already worn these shoes seventy five times, and I will continue to, and they last. And so already now I'm getting ten dollars a price per use. So this really helped me mitigate what was coming in and wait for investing in something that that would last. And it's really changed the way that I consume things and also allowed me to let go of stuff because I'm realizing I'm evaluating my possessions differently. And I used to instead just think to myself, I spent money on it. I have to keep it. Now, the next strategy that was really helpful and really became evident when I became a mom, like I had said, was evaluating the management cost. So when you become an entrepreneur and everything's on you in terms of the revenue coming in, very early on, it's helpful for you to assess your time. If you can sell $100 worth of product in an hour, or if you can sell $100 and earn $100 of revenue within an hour, then your time is worth $100. And so when you start to do other tasks within that hour, you want to ask yourself, is this a $100 task or can I delegate it? One of the very first things that I recommend entrepreneurs do is hire someone to clean their home, hire, you know, use Instacart if you can, meal prep, just get those things that are very time and energy consuming off your plate. And then what I love about this you know, there are some people who, there's many people, and I was one of them who struggle with that process, but I'll share with you my, my, my mindset now. I think the best way to love and support people is with respect and with cash. Pay them well and treat them with the highest honor. Now, when it comes to delegation, I love it because I know how I treat people. I know how I compensate people. And I am creating an opportunity for someone else to earn income when I am hiring a housekeeper or using Instacart and leaving a big tip. Like you only feel like you are, there's so much stuff in the way of like, oh, I'm not going to be a good mom if I don't clean the toilets myself or, oh, I don't want to use that person. Like, okay, well then tip them more. Or while someone else is cleaning your bathroom, like be the present mom. There's ways to get around the things that keep us stuck from delegating. But when I had my kids, I realized like, I don't have a lot of time. It was, I was, it was like very, very unavoidably clear. And so in order for me like I would assess what I was spending my time on and it was managing stuff. And it was like, I don't want to let go of this and I don't know what to do with this and I got to put this clutter away and I got to find a spot for this. And I was spending so much time either not doing what I love to do or not working or not being a present mom, being like the housekeeper and the organizer and having to do it all myself that I was just confronted with. I can't wake up every day and manage this. I can't keep putting this back. Is it worth having this 
to every single day have to reset it or find a spot for it. And if it doesn't have a spot, why do I have it? And if I can't find a spot for it, why do I have it? And if I'm not using it, why do I have it? And so just like I assessed my time as an entrepreneur, I was assessing the cost, the management cost of this possession. And I was looking at my mom or my husband with my kids while I was resetting all this stuff in my house. It just felt like such a self-betrayal and such a betrayal of my kids and my family. I'm like, is this thing worth it? And I just kept ripping the bandaid off and confronting it and confronting it and saying, no, no, it's not worth it. I don't want to be a prisoner to these possessions. It's time for me to have a really cold, hard look at all this, all, all of this stuff that I'm holding onto so tight and ask myself, why? Why am I holding onto it? And that brings me to my third strategy, which was really asking myself, why am I holding onto this? Because it's not about the book. It's not about the photos. It's not about the souvenir. It's not about the flannel. It's not about the shoes. It's about an unmet need in our lives that we have associated with that item. And you get to keep whatever you want to keep. And you get to live however you want to live. But when we associate the meaning or the experience or the need with the object, we're actually doing ourselves such a disservice because we're not actually experiencing that need being met or that emotion as a person We're white knuckling the thing and it's actually preventing us from being connected or going on the trip. A perfect example is this box of stuff that my mom, my mom had from my childhood and I was looking at just all these little things from my bedroom and thinking to myself like, I can't get rid of this. I, I, I needed the space in my office. I didn't. I didn't ever touch it or ever use it. And for some of that stuff, if you have a storage space, like keep it. I'm not saying get rid of things that mean a lot to you because I still have so many bins of stuff that like I want, I want for me. And I'll confront it later and I might throw it out later, but at least it's contained in one spot and I know what it is and where it is. But I was looking at this bin and my mom was downstairs with my kids. Like she was playing with my babies and I was looking at this, this bin that I was managing and saying to myself, I am taking time away from literally being with my mom and being with my kids in this moment because I can't let go of this stuff because it means staying connected to my mom and staying connected to my childhood. And my mom is literally downstairs with my kids. And I could be talking about that and laughing about that and reminiscing about that. Now, for many of you guys, that mom or that experience or that memory is not downstairs. And that's different. But for me, I had to call my own bullshit out and say, 
Why am I holding on to this thing? The reason I'm holding on to this thing is because I love my mom and I love those memories and they're right downstairs and managing this stuff and not going through it and not separating from it is actually separating me from the reason I'm holding on. The reason is downstairs. And the reason for you that you're holding on to that entrepreneurship book or those photos or that sweatshirt is because you're holding on to the connection to college and that version of you or the connection to the entrepreneur and the business that you want to create or that connection to that friend that you haven't called in like two years. And we can't let go of the thing, but the reality is we're actually letting go of the thing the real thing in managing the physical thing and the object and the representation of the thing. And so I'd ask myself, like, why am I holding on to this? And it's crazy, crazy how like a pen or a notebook or a photo or a folder or an art project from high school is so, there's so much meaning to it. We can't let go of it. Keep it if you want to keep it. Take a photo of it if you want to take a photo of it. Put it in a storage unit if you want to put it in a storage unit. Please, I am not the person ever who's going to say let go of it because I'm just not hurt. There are so many things that are sentimental to me and if I can figure out a way to manage it once and not have to manage it forever, keep it. Keep it, keep it, keep it. But when you assess the management cost and you ask yourself, what does this object mean to me? Or why can't I let go of it? It's very clear what you need to work on. (laughs) It's very clear what needs are not being met in your life. It's very clear what is an unhealed wound. And I know that's hard. And I know that hurts. And I'm going through a version of that right now myself. And it's so much easier to just buy, 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 buy. So that we can feel a certain way. And it's like, okay, well, when I wear this jacket, I'm going to go out. Versus call your friends and plan a reason to go out. Or when I do this thing, I feel close to this person rather than actually putting yourself in a position to be with that person. Or... I can't let go of these baby clothes because I don't want to let go of that version of my child, but you're managing baby clothes versus being with your child who will right now in this moment only be as young as they are right now. And so in holding on to the past, we're actually letting go of the present moment and we're cluttering our future with all of these representations versus the real thing. So... Let me ask you these questions. Let me give you these questions as a gift. I'll put them in the show notes so that you can easily copy and paste or screenshot them. But these are the questions that I asked myself and I had them on a note in my phone. I would set a timer and I'd say to myself, okay, if one of these questions hits, like if I'm holding this object and one of these questions hits, and allows me to release my grasp on this thing and either donate it or sell it or store it or throw it out or find a spot for it. But it's gotta fit into one of those categories and I can't lose any more of my life 
managing this stuff. And I can't hold on to something just because there is a sunken cost. And I can't allow myself to experience a lesser version of the need that's being met versus letting go of the representation and the object and instead being courageous enough to confront the reason that I'm holding on and then go get the real thing. These were the questions that I asked. Do I want to keep this? Like, would you buy it today? Would you buy it again? Do you want to manage this? Sometimes it's as clear as that. Why do I have this? This uncovers the reason you're holding on right away. When did I get it? Because sometimes that unlocks the reason why you are holding on. It may just be a version of yourself that you want to reconnect with or thank or love or honor or become again. What meaning does it or did it have? And if it's a good meaning and you like it and you want it and you want to keep it, keep it. Why do I not use it? This is a really good one because maybe it fits an older version of you and releasing this thing will allow you to step into the version of yourself that you haven't fully been able to step into because there are so many anchors into an older version of you. This is so silly. For my wedding, I registered for all the stuff. I was really young. I registered for all the stuff that I thought you were supposed to register for. And like it, when I got married, there wasn't, there weren't like tons of alternative lists. So I was like, of course, I need white wine glasses and red wine glasses and champagne glasses and whiskey glasses. Cause that was just like what auto-populated at Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, I don't drink. <laughs> I love the way it looks. I don't drink alcohol. So I don't need those things. So why do I not use it? I'm not drinking. And so I let go of the Moscow mule mugs and the champagne glasses because I just don't drink anymore. How long since I've used this? Do I use this regularly? Am I keeping this out of obligation or expectation? Am I holding on to this because I think I should love it. Am I saving this just in case? Do I have multiples of this thing? Could something else that I own do the same job? Am I holding on to a broken item to fix it? And is this item worth the time spending to fix or restore? What is its true purpose? And has it already been fulfilled? because we can thank it and we can let go of it and we can honor it. And I think for those of us who have had loss, whew, like we make it mean so much more. And for those of you guys who don't feel this deeply, oh my gosh, you're missing out on some big emotions that are beautiful, but you also live a much lighter life. And you know, I married a man who's like, it's just stuff, it's just stuff, babe. We'll get more of it, we'll figure it out. One of the things that made me fall in love with Rob very early on, we had a kind of like tumultuous, very fast and furious friendship that became an engagement. 
And he said to me, we will always have more than most of the world. We will also never have enough. So, and he didn't mean that like in a graspy or greedy way. He just was like, we'll, we'll always be somewhere on the spectrum and it will be more than others and less than others. So just like relax, girl. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I love this. I love this person. I love his brain. I love his heart. I love his perspective. And he really called me out unknowingly because I realized the amount of significance that I was putting on representations of life. And I was, I was white knuckling and I was controlling and I was holding a little bit too tight on a lot of things. And so I'm proud and happy to say that now on the other side of this process, I've, we've probably let go of about 80% of our possessions and I live differently. And I mean, I'm recording in an office where if you were to see the clutter, you'd be like, and you still have some work to do. <laughs> and yeah, I do. And it's because my life is changing every, every season, every few months, every year. My kids are growing. My business is evolving. My purpose, my routine, they're changing. And yours is too. So this, just like everything else, is not a one and done, but instead a practice that you can... You can equip yourself with these tools and you can enter seasons where it's not really important for you to minimize. But then on the other side, there may be seasons where it's your number one priority. And for me, this stuff and the management of it and my investment into the sunken cost and the reasons that I didn't reveal to myself yet about why I was holding on was standing in between me and my dreams and my purpose and the person that I knew I wanted to become. So wherever you find yourself, I hope this served you. I hope this is something you can go back to. Share this with somebody who needs it, who could benefit from it, who's stuck because of the stuff. And this was just really the 101 version. There's so much more I can share. So look out for another minimalism episode because we could do this with our friends. We could do this with our thoughts. We could do this with our closet again. We could do this with our closet. Oh my gosh, I have so much to share with you guys. Our workspace, our, our everything. So I hope you have an exceptional week. Thanks for being here with me and I'll talk to you later. Thank you for spending your time with me today on this episode of the Chelsea Pearson podcast. I can't wait to hear what made an impact or what you want to hear next. You can let me know on Instagram or in your internet browser at chelseapearson.co drop the M. Dot coms are overrated anyway. And you'll find so many more ways to learn, links to explore, and ways to work together. And if you could take a moment and share this with a friend who needs to hear this message or leave a rating and review, it would mean the world. Check out the show notes for everything mentioned in this episode today and have a great day. You are enough. You are loved. You are just getting started. Life only gets better from here.